handle the truth. Should we or should we not follow the advice of the galactically stupid? Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe fuck yourself. You're all a bunch of fucking assholes. You know why? You don't have the guts to be what you want to be. You need people like me. You need people like me so you can point your fucking fingers and say, that's the bad guy. Clearly, don't know who you're talking to, so let me clue you in. I am not in danger, Skyler. I am the danger. A guy opens his door and gets shot, and you think that of me? No. I am the one who knocks. To another episode of the Righteous Prick Podcast. I am your host, J.L. Covan. It is 11.55 a.m. East Coast time on October 24th in the year of our Lord 2021. My voice is a little hoarse uh, because last night was sort of an important night for me. And I know after last week's 78% suicide note, 22% comedy podcast, many of you are probably concerned, wondering... Those of you who are not in attendance probably wondering what what happened. Uh, was this JL's final moment as a comedian? Uh, did he, in fact, jump in front of New Jersey Transit after the show? What happened? How did it go? What does the future of comedy hold for JL Coban? Well, let me tell you something. Last night was a motherfucking A+. It just was. Uh, it was an overwhelmingly positive night. Um contrasting with, uh, as an example, when I recorded Thoughts and Prayers in 2018, uh, the response was very much, Michael Jordan, hello, Cookie, welcome back. I tried to, she can't decide whether she wants to be here for this or not. She's like, when JL texts, you know, it's funny, uh, Cookie used to only leave, leave my, pre- she, she would leave my presence if I said the word fuck. It's a triggering word for her, okay, probably the original owner who, beat and abandoned her, is my hypothesis, uh, probably used profanity a lot because the only word I get 100% uh, attention and recognition from Cookie is an F-bomb. So she will come over to me with her tail wagging trying to, I guess, fix whatever might be wrong, and then she will leave the room. So she will, she's, but I will say this, the only other thing now that she leaves the room for is when I start talking comedy. It's sort of an interesting thing. I've noticed when I talk comedy it's in my apartment, it is rarely positive, and it rarely has a tone of joy. Uh, and when she hears me talking about algorithms, and not even on the podcast, just uh, to, to the righteous GF or whoever, it's, it's, she, will, she, will, she will look at me and then leave the room. She's like, the tone 
He may not be saying F-bombs, but the tone feels very F-bombish. Balmy. (laughs) So uh, last night, and I'm going to give you the full recap. Also, I have a gambling update. I know I have a few people who have longed for me to be uh, back to my New Jersey uh, online sports gambling ways. And, you know, with... With, uh, you know, the, the downturn in, in desire to live that I've been feeling recently, it, gambling, that's when gambling steps in. That's where gambling gives you that artificial rush. And the hilarious thing is my first bet, and I, 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 I can't do the Adam Sandler, cut J, cut J. I can't do the Adam Sandler Uncut Gems impression right now. But um, I will say this, my first, very first bet of the NBA season, a parlay, lost it on the first game. <laughs> <laughs> I put a hundred bucks on the Nets and go and Warriors uh, to win uh, opening night, and the Warriors won. But it didn't matter by then because the very first game, the Nets uh, screwed it up. Not afraid of ruining parlays in the first of several games. Uh, yeah, so that was that was fun because it felt like oh, I'm back. I'm back. I could, I didn't even get to. It didn't even. I'm the type of gambler, I only lose one of two ways. I lose on the first gamble of a parlay or I lose on the last one. So it's either hilarious or tragic. It's not like, I oh, I won the first four and the fifth one didn't come through and the last two did. It's always like, oh, uh, grand opening, grand closing, the first bet lost, or it's, I can win $100,000 if this eighth parlay comes through. Oh, and they lost, of course. Should have stopped at seven, which would have won me, you know, 52000 Oh, well. Not afraid of betting too much. So uh, gambling-wise, I'm off to a good start. My big preseason bets were um, Donovan Mitchell for MVP. I know, may sound crazy, but the odd, he was a plus 3,000, which is exactly what the Jazz were to win the title last year. Those are the kind, those are the kind of odds I like. So I put 500 on, on Donovan Mitchell. No, I put 350. 350 on Donovan Mitchell to win the MVP. He probably won't, but you know what? If he stays healthy this year, leads the Jazz in scoring again, um, and they, you know, maybe they finish again with the best record or the best record in their conference. I don't know. He could, he probably won't, but that's why it's a plus 3,000. But that's also why I find it to be a pretty nice value bet because I don't, the other bet I made on the Jazz was, uh, for them to go, I think they were 52.5 wins uh, over under for the season. Well, they won 50 wins last year in a 72-game season, and they're healthier and better this year in terms of their roster. So I thought, yeah, I think 53 wins is an, is an easy lock. But I bet 200 on that, and if they get 53 wins or more, I win 400. So it's like, I guess that's fun, but it's, that's not that, that's an annoying bet to wait an entire season for. Like what, what savings accounts, bank savings accounts practically give better interest rates. It's like I invested in the jazz season and doubled my money over the course of 9,000 games. Uh, the other bet I made, which was sort of a hedge bet, um, also still not a guarantee, but I bet Steph Curry for MVP. Um, so I bet Steph Curry MVP, I forget how much, I think 200 bucks, which would pay me like 1800, which I figured... That's kind of a good bet, and that's my, hey, if Golden State does well and Curry leads the league in scoring, then that could be the bet that, like, covers all my season-long losses. So that's your update from JL Needs a Spark in His Soul. Gambling. Thank you. Uh, (laughs) But those bets were made before October 23rd. Now, before we get to the show... 
which was a I have a high opinion of my own comedy. I think we've established that through years of this podcast. And even I am impressed with what I just did last night. Um, and we will get to that later. But um, it was so good. It was such a good evening. The crowd was so good. I was in my zone at, 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 on, on just a, an entire range of shit that I felt that relief. I, I, when, I, when, I, when Thoughts and Prayers was over, I was. I think I interrupted myself. When Thoughts and Prayers was over in 2018, I basically felt like Michael Jordan at the end of the flu game, where it's like, we won, I just did something really great, I just want to go home and rest. I, I have no celebration in me. I am the stress, the tension, uh, the 99-minute performance in one take for an album, double album, uh, it was just exhausting, and I just felt great relief, but but not a ton of joy. It was more like, I did it. <sighs> and this, there was a little bit of that, but it was such a good experience. I felt so good about it, and I, the crowd was so amazing that it it, over, it overwhelmed that exhaustion into a, a state of, of quasi-euphoria. So that should get you hyped up for Half Blackface. Um, because... <sighs> God damn! It was just it was. Did I did I was were there there were a few bits. I'll get to this later. I want to give you the the lead up to the show first because that's where the fun is, folks. So I want to take you all the way back uh, to Thursday. It's Thursday. We're two days away. I have a spot at New York Comedy Club, and uh, it's an eight to ten minute spot. So not enough to run a full seventy five minute set. Obviously, if you're doing the math. But it's just now at this point, it's like, let's get on. Oh, no, no, no. Wait, 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 wait. I'm sorry. No, we got to go back to Wednesday. Ah, Wednesday is the key, the key to this whole week. Uh, this comedian, Ritu, uh, who uh, was instrumental in uh, me getting a PlayStation 5 relatively quickly for my nephew. She runs a show in Morristown, New Jersey, which is Trump, rich Trump country, the tax uh, it's, it's, it's wheel. Well, no, some of them, they're definitely some MAGA folks. Like there's a new restaurant that opened up called 1776, like a hot new restaurant. And apparently it's good, but it's also definitely like trolling the 1619 project, which is weird to be a chef and be like, uh, I want my, I want my food to say, fuck critical race theory. Mm, when I, it has a reduction of bigotry, uh, glaze on the, uh, roasted salmon and uh, when, I, <laughs> when, I'm, <laughs> when I'm eating it, it has an aftertaste of uh, fuck-off immigrants. And it's just it's, – it's a beautiful experience. It's a great culinary experience, uh, culinary spelled with three Ks. Uh, so there is a new rest, a hot new restaurant in Morristown called 1776, uh, which is um, funny and pathetic and sad uh, all at the same time. But uh, so I get to Morristown. She books me on the show and she said a couple of comics dropped out so I would be able to run more time. So this was a gift. I was going to do like 40. I ended up getting to do an hour, which was hugely important and hugely critical because it gave me one last chance to really say, OK, I think I got to get I, I was just still in the process of like I love all my bits and some of them have to go. Some of them cannot make the special um, like hard. No it was a, it was hard knocks training camp cuts for, and I loved all the players. I was just like, I'm sorry, Andrew Gillum bit. You are great. 
you will not make it. It is too much. We have to go right from Bradley Cooper to Marilyn Manson. I'm sorry. You are a six-minute chunk that I am. I, I think is is great. I'm sorry. I, you will catch on with another team. I apologize. Um, so a few bits had to get cut. So that that was huge. It was a weird crowd. Um, but I really, I what I do, what I do when I'm in a weird crowd because obviously when you're not drawing your own audience, you you just have to. I look and latch on to people who seem to share my sensibilities or that maybe seem like good audience members that I can gauge more. So if I'm if half the crowd's just kind of like eh, and half is enjoying it, I look for faces. Like my friend Pat was there. He was obviously somebody who I could gauge some some lines off of seeing his reaction. Uh there were two women who are friends with Ritu who who seemed very engaged in the show the whole time. So like they were good. And then there was like a uh, a, a, a black woman, and uh, like I, I want to say, like maybe in her in her fifties, sitting with somebody up close to the stage, and she really enjoyed the set. So I was like looking through at them to say, okay, okay, we're good. Doesn't matter if like some people aren't paying attention, but I ended up having I thought a very strong set. Um, before beforehand, I went to Roots Steakhouse, which if anybody ever passes through Morristown, New Jersey, I do recommend it. I, uh, for many reasons, I went there before seeing Peter Cetera. That's right. I went to see Peter Cetera at the Mayo Performing Arts Center because um, just as a background, um, I went on – I started going on like a concert going spree uh, in two, 2015. I, I had just started seeing The Righteous Girlfriend and she was a big Chris Cornell fan. And uh, he was on tour doing a solo tour. So I said, okay. So I bought tickets. And then I said, oh, I'll, I'm going to download his app. I'm going to get his new album to see what it's like. And I fucking love it. Higher Truth by Chris Cornell. Um, you know, much like the guy, different artists, obviously, but much like uh, the lead singer for Linkin Park, uh, a group I am a, a fan of, uh, whether that's cool or not. Um, but they, uh, their lyrics uh, were not just talk. Very depressing, but... Chris Cornell's songwriting, for the most part, on Higher Truth is like depressing, beautiful poetry. It's it's absolutely incredible, some of the songs on that album. Murderer of Blue Skies is, is I think, probably just one of my favorite songs. It's an incredible sort of breakup song. Um, Before We Disappear is like this melancholy, beautiful love song that basically, uh, you know, sounds like any artist who is hurt who has who has damaged a relationship but it it is this like existential like we're only a blip on the earth and time will forget us so let me hold you uh let me hold you dear before we disappear it's something like it's just the the songwriting on that is just really great but so i was like enjoying the album and we went to see him in concert i was like oh this, this was great you know he sang some some uh some some sort of remixes that he does like he sang the song one the lyrics and you can find this on youtube because he's done it before but like the lyrics to one by metallica sung to the tune of one by u2 incredible so he did that he sang some audio slave he sang some sound garden uh he sang a lot of his solo stuff off the new album incredible performance and then like a, less than a year later he he killed himself I, I think it was less than a year later, but it was like I was like actively looking to get tickets to see him again. So I sort of said, you know what? There's a lot of singers I like, a lot of people, and I want to see if they're touring. So I went to see – I said Peter Cetera is, you know, 
on my Mount Rushmore of male vocalists, I think his voice is just uh, so unique and so incredible. And so I said, oh, Peter Cetera is playing. Awesome. Uh, in Morristown. So we can get there by train. Well, I was still living in the city, but I was like, yeah, I want to go out there. So I said, oh, and there's this steakhouse. Uh, maybe it's good. Well, it was great. Ruth's Steakhouse. Great steakhouse. Basically, you know, Manhattan, Manhattan steakhouse quality for, for a little cheaper. Um, basically, the difference was our round trip t- train tickets made up the difference. But now I'm in Jersey, so it's not as much. Um, so I said, let me go back there. By the way, sidebar, Peter Cetera, incredibly beautiful, bitter man. Um, I think I may have said this in a previous iteration of the Righteous Brick podcast, so apologies if you have heard these stories before, but Peter Cetera, my two favorite things, he was talking about, he was like, Kenny Rogers wanted a song, a, a ballad for his next album, so my friend David Foster, the mega producer who they, they co-wrote like some of Cetera's biggest hits of the early 80s, he was like, so we, we got together, we wrote the song, and I, I presented it to Kenny, and he was like, oh, we already got the song, and Peter Cetera just took a beat. He's telling a story, by the way, this is, you know, 35, 36 years later. And he goes, you should have taken the song, Kenny. And then they went into You're the Inspiration, which is, of course, a number one hit for the famous number one hit for Peter Cetera. But it was very funny because it was like I connected so much to that, that, that eternal flame of bitterness where it's like you're worth like $50 million. You're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You're, you're one of the most iconic kind of ballad voices in, 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 in modern music history. And you're still like, Kenny Rogers, you made a fucking mistake, dude. And I'd hope you never forget it. Um, so that was fun. The other one was about him losing uh, best song at the Oscars to Berlin, Take My Breath Away. Um, which, by the way, if you look up the 1986 song nominees, there were like three like chart-topping songs, so, which you don't see a lot of, it, which was great, which is nice, because it's like, oh, these songs were actually popular, not just like... Here's the song, I'm Special Too, from the Disney movie, uh, <laughs> from the Disney movie, Triggered. Here's, we're all, <laughs> it was actually like songs that had like hit number one on the Billboard charts. It was like Berlin, Take My Breath Away, Glory of Love, which was Satara's from Karate Kid 2, and some other song. But it was like just, oh, yeah, like it's okay to nominate super popular songs also. You don't just have to pick something from a depressing end credits song from some rom-com or whatever. But anyway, went to Ruth's Steakhouse. And then, to make it even better, uh, you know, I got my brother uh, and his wife as a present because I, like, I liked it so much. I was like, I know you guys are busy, but, like, if you can make a drive out there, it's worth uh, a real nice dinner. You don't, you know, don't have to go to the city, at least, for, for, for a high-quality steak meal. And they ended up taking their two kids, and, and my older nephew is uh, is autistic, and and they were uh, they the food was great, as my brother told me. They finally got to use a gift certificate a couple of years ago, but they said the food was great. But even more so, the service and the sort of the, you know allowing them to have kind of a private table off in the corner, so that if if my older nephew had any issues, and they were just the overall experience was just was great. So that made me feel really good about it. So I went there before my set in Jersey to promptly spend, you know, 110 bucks on a meal for a $50 payday. Cause that's the economic, the JL comedy economics. Uh, so I had a nice meal and I got to say, I'm going to admit something here that I don't like to admit. I was peer pressured into not wearing a mask when I, now I'm vaccinated, but Jersey does not have any of the mandates. I think Phil Murphy is waiting to see if he gets reelected. And when he gets reelected, he's going to go, I have decided we need masks. 
Um, mask mandates seem to work. But right now he's playing. He knows Jersey has enough stupid people who'll be like, I was supporting him, but the mask mandates too much. Also the blacks. <laughs> so um, I go into Root Steakhouse. The hostesses don't have masks. The bartenders don't have masks. Not a single waiter has a mask on. Now that makes me think it's almost a reverse thing. I feel like in a Trump town, okay, that had a feeling of not a single patron, packed steakhouse. I, I got this like little bar table. But that made me think, I feel like management might be telling people, you're making our clients very uncomfortable when you wear the mask, okay? So take you can find another fucking job if you want to wear your precious little pussy mask, okay? We're, we're MAGA country here. We believe in low taxes and even lower immigration. So if you put that fucking mask on, uh, you're going to lose your teeth along with the mask, okay? It had that vibe. It had that vibe. And now, of course, how, how crude and mean is this for me to be like, Yes, on the one hand, the, the steakhouse was incredibly accommodating to my autistic nephew and his family. But I still think uh, they're a bunch of Trump thug assholes. I don't know. That's the great mystery of America, isn't it? Uh, so, so I could be wrong, but it was sort of jarring to be like, oh, not nobody on the staff wants to wear a mask? Like, nobody? And maybe they're all vaccinated. Great. But, and I admit, I wanted to go in and put my mask on, and I was like, oh, even the staff is not masked. And I was like, I don't want the attention of all these people. So I just sat in my table without a mask. So hopefully I didn't get some Morristown COVID, the Morristown strain. Um, Morris, Morris strain and the, wait, well, Morris, and the, I don't know. I was going for that Prince side group. But anyway, I'm, uh, I'm still hungover and still euphoric. Not really. You can tell the euphoria is dying very quickly in me. That's I was in a hurry to do this podcast because I was like, these people deserve fucking positivity. Okay, so before it wears off, which, you know, uh, before Sunday at like 8 p.m., I'm like, I got to get this podcast out so they get some positivity because there's it was a great fucking day. So Morristown ends up being an incredibly useful show, but I don't get to some of the bits that I, I need to do. But Overall, great show. Thank you, Ritu. She doesn't listen to the podcast, but it was it was, uh, you know, the the most valuable show I've had in the in the month leading up to the the the, the special taping. So Thursday comes around, and I'm at the New York Comedy Club, and uh, Andrew Schultz, a very big time act, is also on the show. So, um, you know. He's one of those guys who he makes like a million a year on Patreon. He's doing Radio City Music Hall in April. Some of you are probably going, I don't know who that is. That's okay. Just, just I'm telling you the facts. I'm telling you who he is. Very, very big sort of uh, career right now. Uh, career I, you know, the type of career I would, I would love to have. But, but okay. So he's on the show. So like 35 of like the 45 people in the audience are there specifically for him. And it was only announced like the night before. That's like, that's when you know you're big time. When it's like any announcement hits any amount of comedy fans, there's going to be a group that's, that's into you. So I got up there and it was supposed to be like eight to 10, but be, you know, uh, Schultz did uh, way over his time. But that's, that's, you know, Nobody really, you you really don't complain when the guy is the reason people are there. You're just like, yeah, they're going to give him some extra time. So I got up and I did a few bits and they were like a younger, dumber audience, but they weren't dumb. It was just a unique experience because I felt like they laughed at all my punchlines, which was good. 
but they also were very, there was no like, it was almost like every punchline surprised them. Whereas sometimes crowds will anticipate what's going on and be like, <laughs> this was like dead crickets, crickets, crickets. Whoa, where'd he come up with that punchline? Ha 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 ha. But I only did six and a half minutes. I gave time back to the room because I ended on a Millie Vanilli joke and then just said, oh, I, I just, I'm not going to get into another bit. So that was it. I got paid a little money for a six and a half minute spot and then went home. So I had one more night to perform before uh, the biggest show of my career. Uh, and then I um, uh, had an MRI. So I, I, I basically had to take off Friday because I had to go get an MRI in the city. Um, and that was on 66th and 1st Avenue, for those of you that know the city. Uh, got the MRI and then proceeded to walk to Barnes & Noble to pick up a couple of books I had ordered uh, on 40. Fifth, uh, excuse me, 46th and 5th. So that's already like a, a walk of like, you know, almost two miles. Then I walked to my friend, uh, a friend's office to just hang out for, for a little bit on 32nd and Lexington. And then I said I had a show at 930 in Soho. And now it was like seven o'clock. And I said, well, let me find a coffee shop so I can really start going over my set again and start like whittling down what I and, and pick what I have to work on tonight. Like the few jokes that I really want to get out tonight. And I just want to get on stage at that point to, to you know, just keep getting on stage. That's, that's almost as valuable as the specific jokes to work on or to repeat. So I say, okay, I'm going to find a Starbucks. Well, I start walking. I walk west. I walk all the way to, to Penn Station, which is 32nd and 7th. And everything's closed. It's a Friday evening. So, so I haven't found any coffee shops or nothing's open. Like, no, no nothing like that, obviously. And then... It's Friday night and it's a popular night to go out. So now I'm like, well, I can't even find a like a quiet restaurant or anything. So I'm walking around. I then walk down to 23rd and 7th and then make my way all the way back over to 23rd and like park and go to find a Starbucks that's open and just sit there until they close at 8 and start mapping out my set for the night and just reviewing my overall set list for Saturday night. I get up, I leave, and I, uh, God, I can't even remember what I had for dinner, but it was not healthy. Oh, no. So then... Now I'm on the east side. Now I'm in Union Square. This is all walking, by the way. I think I walked, no joke, uh, over 10 miles because I had done a, a four-mile walk for my just exercise that morning in Jersey. So I definitely cleared over 10 miles of walking uh, on Friday, which I also thought was stupid because I just got an MRI for my, re my left knee. But I was like, I'm putting a significant amount of wear and tear before I'm going to have to stand on stage for 60 to 90 minutes tomorrow night for something that's actually important. I don't want to be hobbling and limping. So I'm just zigzagging through the city. And then I'm at like, I'm in Union Square and I go, well, let's walk back to the west, west, west side, west coast. Yeah, that felt like it, west side. And then I just walk down and now I'm basically in Soho and it's like 830 and I'm looking at all the the tables of, of groups of attractive young people having their Friday night meals. And I couldn't help but think, I used to think, May, oh, look at these hot chicks. God damn it. And now I'm just at the age and social, social experience of going, oh, friends, <laughs> that must be nice. And uh, so I keep walking. I go to Two Boots Pizza in Soho and eat, uh, I guess I was still in the West Village technically. Uh, had two slices, showed my ID. I always like it when the places are actively checking the IDs and not just sort of going, yeah, do whatever the fuck you want. Um, had two slices and then made my way over to the uh, the pizza restaurant where the show was. Ironically, I had pizza before going to a pizza restaurant to perform. 
So we set up, I got there early and I helped set up the room. And at, now, now, mind you, my MRI was done at 4.45. And now it's 9.30 and there are zero people in attendance for the show. So I'm sitting there and I go, well, I'm getting the 10.41 train home. That's just what's happening. So uh, I got to get some sleep tonight. And they said, okay, we're going to start the show at 10. And I was like, well, there's still no audience. And um, no, I can't do that. So the night before the biggest show of my life, I end up spending an additional six hours in New York City for literally no reason. And I thought that gave me sort of comfort. I said, whatever Saturday night holds, I am as on brand as I've ever been right now. So... I I had an odd sense of calm and confidence with like one more irritating, time-wasting fuck-up. I said, I'm in the zone. I'm in whatever zone God has assigned me uh, to be. I'm there. Will this be good? Will this be bad? I don't know, but I'm where I'm supposed to be with a failed perform an inability to perform the night before the biggest performance of my life and just six hours where I could have been home watching – catching up on James Bond movies until I go see the last Daniel Craig one. I could have had a nice healthy meal instead of Two Boots Pizza. Um, I could have been in bed at like 10.45 going, it's time for a good night of rest. But none of that was in the cards for me. So I make my way home. I watch Real Time with Bill Maher. I go to sleep. So now we're, it's Saturday. I have a great workout Saturday. I, I, I type up my final cheat sheet set list, which is just, you know, a third of a page of bullet points just to keep me going that I taped to the stool of the stage for the performance. And mm, foot's falling asleep. The old circulation issues again. Can't wait to get something amputated one day. Stay positive, JL. So uh, I'm trying to get the 305 train into the city because as I said last week, I was I wanted to go to confession. I, I wanted a a clean slate before this show. And if I were to tell you what I was praying for, maybe this sounds kooky to you, but all I kept saying was, please let it be okay to fail. Please let me be okay with failing. Like if this doesn't go how I want, I just said, please let me be okay with failing. P.S. But don't let me fail. (laughs) And that's what I kept saying to myself. I was like, you know, basically it's one of those like, let me be okay with whatever happens, but please, I hope what happens is good. And so I'm trying to make, I can't make, I, 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 my workout ran long. I was, I was feeling it and I was, I was getting a good pump, bro. And uh, so I wasn't able to get the 305 train. So I said, okay, I'm going to see how much a cab is. So a cab into the city where I wanted to go, St. Paul the Apostle Church, uh, cathedral really, on 60th and like Columbus, I want to say, or Amsterdam. A beautiful church, uh, if you're ever sightseeing or uh, or a Catholic looking for a nice place to go to Mass in New York City. And um, confession ends at 4.45, okay, before the Saturday Vigil Mass. So I say, eh, 3.30, according to this, cab will get me to uh, the church at 4.20. Perfect, plenty of time. Well, we get in, and then we get into the Lincoln Tunnel. And it was super fucking slow. And I don't know if this driver was had warrants out for his arrest or or what, but this guy drove so cautiously, I, I it would arouse my suspicion. Like, he was driving so cautiously and slowly 
that I would I would go, sir, I know this may sound awful, but I'm actually pulling you over because no normal person uh, does everything that you're doing. No person without something to hide would drive this way. Um, but we get to the church at uh, 439, and I say thank you. I get out. I go in. There's a line for confession. And here's the thing. Because of social distancing, we're no longer using, like, the private booths. We're just out there. We're just, like, sitting in two chairs, uh, like, 10 yards from, like, a, a kneeling prayer station. And I was like, well, that's not the privacy I really want to talk about my sins, Father. So it's me online, and it's a bunch of old ladies in front of me. And I'm like, what could you have possibly done, ma'am? Uh, but I was laughing because then I had this discussion with somebody after the show yesterday. It was kind of funny because it was like, yes, the only people who, the only people under like 75 uh, who go to confession uh, in, in our pop culture are like Irish Catholic assassins. Like Ray Donovan goes to confession <laughs> and J.L. Covan goes to confession. But it had been a couple of years, so I, I went and, uh, you know, sat in kind of open court with, uh, with the priest uh, in hushed tones uh, describing my sins. And, uh, um, and I, felt, uh, I felt good. I felt better. I felt uh, a little bit cleansed. And I thought, that's the way I want to go into the show. Um, so then I wandered around the Upper West Side of Manhattan, Manhattan Ended up settling on Shake Shack, where nobody, by the way, was checking. They say they put the signs on the door, but nobody was checking to see if you were vaccinated, if you wanted to sit and eat. But I had a, a chicken sandwich and fries and a water, well within my calorie count, uh, for the day. And um, ate, read a little bit of the paper, started reviewing my set, and made my way to the theater. And I was in the theater at like 6.20, and one of the most stressful things is when you're doing your own thing, when you're doing your own show... You just you 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 really want somebody there, and the, and the theater. I I really like that theater. I like the space of the theater. The people have always been nice, and it's always been a no hassle and respectful. It's the only place in New York City that really, you know, it's an independent theater. But I have I've done like four recordings there, three or four recordings. I've done a couple of other shows, but it has never been anything but painless. But at the same time, you you kind of wish you had a coordinator or something to just be handling like like. It feels doing your own show feels like being your own wedding coordinator and you're also getting married at the same time. So it's, it creates this you want it's stressful enough and you wish all of it was out of your hands. But, um, you know, we're 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 going through everything. I'm reviewing my set. I've got my my pregame, my pre-show tape uh, on my pre-show playlist, which basically had just Bo Burnham, Millie Vanilli. Guns N' Roses, uh, a variety of songs that had like not so uh, hard to understand meanings. And they were also, Marilyn Manson was on it. They were also sort of reminders for some of the things in my set. So uh, my favorite my favorite guy, by the way, from last night, other than everybody who obviously showed up, was uh, Jean-Pierre, the, the sound tech guy. Let me tell you something. There's this guy. I, I get it. I get if you're attracted to Frenchmen. He was, he, he just, he had this, he was in a suit. He smelled of cigarettes, a little bit tired looking, but like just such a, such a cool confidence about him. I was like, are you sure you don't run like the French underground or, or like some sort of criminal enterprise or just are like a, a playboy in France? Because he just had this vibe where I was like, you just do sound tech. You seem way too cool for just like doing sound tech at the triad theater. 
Um, but suit, no tie, suit, smells of cigarette, and just a cool vibe about him. And, and of course, the fact that when I, he was like, J.O., what does that stand for? I said, Jean-Louis, Jean-Louis, parle français. And I was like, man, just what I learned in school. Settle down. But, but uh, Jean-Pierre, uh, you know, he's listening to my pregame. He goes, I love ACDC. And I was like, yeah. And because uh, ACDC was on, it's along the top if you want to rock and roll. Uh, listen to those lyrics. You'll, that's, that's pretty on point as well. Um, stuck in the middle with you, a tribute to my life as a middle act was on the, the, the playlist. So most people were probably not picking up on the significance of all the songs, but I was, it made me feel good, but I'm, I'm, my heart was just racing this entire evening. And I think it was good being in the theater for that long because my heart was racing, but you can't keep that pump going the whole time. It reminds me of a flight I once took to Chicago where it was bumpy the entire, I hate flying. The flight was bumpy for all two hours. Like the, the pilot basically got on before we left and was like, uh, it's going to be a uh, – hi, everybody. It's going to be a pretty bumpy flight basically the whole way, so I just wanted to let you know. And I'm like, I wish you hadn't let me know, actually. And, but by about an hour into it, my system could no longer sustain that level of stress. So I just sort of calmed down and dealt with it. And I think that's what happened at the theater. I eventually just got to a point where like 10 minutes before showtime, I was like, yeah, it's, it's, it's happening. So Jean-Pierre set up the sound, the, the, the guys from Helium, the guy from Helium set up the, uh, the cameras, Pete Dominic, my friend, uh, went on stage and opened and got the crowd ready to go doing just great warm up, great, like technical warm up to just get a crowd focused and, and ready to laugh and enjoying themselves. And then I went out there and had, uh, probably, I think it would be fair to say the set of my life. So I came up biggest when it mattered um the crowd was incredible they were on and and it was a it was one of those experiences where you know it take it took me a long time but obviously there i had friends in in the audience as well but fans outnumbered friends and that is an odd little milestone but that it was now you are attracting people who and i'm not talking this wasn't people laughing at anything i said because they just are such fans of mine it was, it was a, these were people who had become fans of my comedic sensibility and were on the same page intellectually and comedically. And I finally got to experience the, I'm in my zone. And now the people watching me are not just strangers who I have to convert or, uh, figure out where they are or what they like. These were people who were already coming with a Yes, the type of comedy JL does is the type of humor we enjoy and, and we think his comedy is. But what I did, and I and the best, com- I would say the best compliments I got, uh, my friend Dan, who is a comedian, he, he texted Chris Lamberth and uh, basically just told him it was like, and he told me to my face, he was just like, it was, it was like another level. It was just, it was like somebody who knew I was funny and has known me for a while, just being able to see this was, he took it to, to a place that I have not seen him go. Um, and then my friend Ross, who I've referenced before, Ross is, uh, you know, one of those few friends that, that I have that was, uh, fr- just a friend. No, didn't go to school with him, didn't work with him, just developed a friendship early in my time in, uh, after law school in DC uh, I, during law school, I should say in DC, uh, we were in a, we, we were in a, an improv class together. Uh, don't ever tell anybody I took one, but, uh, no, it was, I was just starting comedy and I thought, I guess maybe this could help with stage skills since I'm a novice. Um, that tells you how humble I was. I was willing to even try improv just 
just to facilitate improving stand-up skills, not because I wanted to be an improv person. Uh, I would rather die. But uh, not afraid of going to hell rather than being on whose line is it anyway. Uh, so Ross just gave me, he's, he's been at almost every recording, but he's, he's always been somebody whose judgment I trust. And his thumbs up was not the usual really good job, man. It was like fucking mer Like you, that was, that was it. That's, that's, that was it. Like it was even his praise had a different sensibility to it. And the, you know, the rewarding thing about this, because I'm always talking about how important it is that I be doing good work. If you can't guarantee that people will buy your work or that industry will support your work, the thing in your control is doing good work. And I take a tremendous amount of pride that despite all my bitching and complaining and, and, and despondency over this career, that 18 years in, maybe partly as a result of never getting to the level I want to get to, I, I have to keep trying to do my absolute best and developing and creating and going new places with it. And at least the body of work I have reflects that. So I can, I take great pride in that and half blackface. Uh, I don't know. I just think it's, I, I don't want to get too hyped up over it because the, the chances are that there will be disappointment along this process of trying to get it bought, sold, streamed, etc. But this was it, man. This was like I'll put I'll put this shit up against anybody. Anybody. And it feels good. And I want to hold on to that for a little while. Until I start going to nobody's buying me. Fucking, I fucking quit, man. If I could get this scene, what the fuck? But but you know, it was uh, it was it was one of the greatest, if not the greatest, night of my comedy life because I felt like after eighteen years, I was in a room, getting to my 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 highest level. And there was an audience that was all in ready for it. And the killer part of this, the killer part of this, and there's going to editing. I, 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 here's the funny thing. I closed with the holy water bit. If, if some of you have seen it, but the holy water bit, I love, and it's a really funny bit. And it was there. I was closing with it as a safety because I go, I know this works. So I'm going to close with it because what I really wanted to close with, there is like a 10 minute chunk at the end, which gives the special its name about how I, I don't mention the comic. I left names out. There is no mention of Sarah Cooper. There's no mention of, of George Lopez, JB Smoove, any of the people I referenced because I thought I'm going to leave it anonymous because if this special sells, you know, you don't know who's it's selling to. And I don't want to call, I'm, I'm not, if it's not necessary, I don't need to call someone out. And then all of a sudden it creates a conflict with like another artist who's on a, a same platform. People can figure it out, but I didn't, you know, that was a choice I made. But the problem was doing a 10 minute bit about being on, you know, being not sure and being treated like you can't do makeup and things like, as I said, my father was a bald black guy with glasses. And at best, it's really just half black face, isn't it? If we're, we got, I mean, if I'm going to get credit for anything 
And this whole bit, the crowd was really with me. And there is a line at the end, because I explore Latino usage of the N-word. That's, that's all I'm going to say. And at the end, I call it back as it relates to me. And the crowd loved it. That was going to be my original closing bit. And it would have worked. And as I'm going through, I go, I didn't do the holy water bit yet. Like if I had known this bit was going to close so well and that my biggest dream was going to come true, that that could be the closing bit. The holy water bit would have been earlier, much earlier in the set. But I, but I now moved it to closer almost as like a safety valve. Like, well, this, if this bit hits, it's an A closer. But the holy water is an A minus B plus closer. But, it'll, but if the other bit ends up not crushing at all, I've got this to like wrap up the set. So that's a little concern. But the reason I was unsure, and this is maybe news to people who were at the uh, show, that was the first time I had done the entire chunk on makeup and blackface and being, you know, that entire sort of 10 minute chunk around the N word and uh, dress like put getting prosthetics and a makeup artist to make me look like someone else. Um, that has never been said on stage. I have been trying to say it on stage for two months, but every time I went on the road, I had 31 people in the, in the audience. And I said, I don't know if I'm good enough to get these people who have no idea who I am on board with this bit in this amount of time. And it will just be uncomfortable for everybody because you know, they, I had bits that were crushing on the road, but with 35 people in the crowd, the laughter isn't there because people become self-conscious. They can't lose themselves in a crowd. Well, if you have an Italian-looking guy talking about why maybe it wasn't a horrible thing that he was dressing up as a black comedian in a sketch series and a Latin comedian in a sketch series, if you're not all in, that's going to be exponentially more uncomfortable than, than a good joke. You're going to be going, I don't know, why are we here? This is uncomfortable. Well, because I was so in my zone, everything I wasn't sure of, some bits, like I said, got cut. I didn't get to a biggie bit, uh, which, but that leaves it open for just doing biggie joke, like this joke I have about biggie, uh, forthwith. But, um, I cut the Andrew Gillum bit. I met some of you may not know that bit, but if you've seen me in uh, Boston or, 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 or DC, uh, I was doing a very good bit, but it was just, it was too much time. Um, and it, it, it wasn't necessary. It was, it was a bit that if I didn't have other bits that were similar, I would have absolutely kept it in because there's funny shit in it um, about uh, identity and allyship and all that crap. But to do a bit that is the centerpiece of the title of the special and is nerve-wracking because you don't know the whole point of, of half of the special is about not being treated, being treated like a white guy instead of a half-white guy. And the entire crux of the special relied on a joke that I had not yet told on stage. <laughs> but... I was guns blazing and just, I mean, there were ad libs in this show. Nobody knows what was written and what was ad lib, but there is ad libs about like ranking the, the levels of the, the, the quality of racism and racists. That is some of my favorite shit on the thing. And it's stuff that just was ad lib because the energy was, was, was electric. 
both ways. The crowd was giving me everything I could want and I was giving them everything I could. But to say, the, the most clutch thing I've ever done, like now Millie Vanilli, the Millie Vanilli bit on Thoughts and Prayers, I had talked about for years, never did it on stage. But it was like developed in my head. And that was also not the closing bit. That was the middle of the set, but it, but it murdered. And now it's a, it's, it's a remix of that is on uh, Half Blackface. But the, uh, but to do the, this is the close, I mean, it's not the closer because I, I couldn't, I couldn't make its debut an unprotected closer. Now we may edit, if I, if there's a way to edit this without it looking like shit, can't have it look like shit, where, where we move the, the holy water bit up in the set, like in a natural space, and then just still end with the, the closer that I'm the half blackface closer. Um, it worked. It worked as a closer. My friend Ross even said to me, he was like, oh, and then you went into Holy Water. He's like, I can't believe, like he was anticipating it as I was going through the city. He goes, he's going to close with this. This is the closer. And it got the big laugh, but I couldn't close with it because I hadn't done a bit that was, that I refused to dump. I, unlike the Gillum bit or the, Bo- the Bobby McFerrin bit, anybody who listens to this podcast, the Bobby McFerrin bit was too redundant when next to the Millie Vanilli remix TikTok section. So I couldn't, I couldn't do both. They're both good, but when I'm trimming, so there were very tough choices made. The good news is the material still exists and I can do those live and and maybe for something else. But uh, those were the tough choices, but the, 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 you know, the half blackface bit made its debut. I don't, I don't know if this sounds as risky as it sounds to you, but it is incredibly risky to name your special after a bit that you haven't yet performed until the night of the special. And it fucking worked. And it was like incredible. And, and, and just, you know, and then the outpouring after the show of, of people, we went out for drinks. I was making the rounds in the bar. Phenomenal, phenomenal seeing so many, so many people. I thank you. If you're listening to this, uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I'm really proud of what I did and I'm very, very thankful for everyone who showed up, um, because you really did make it like those jokes would be good, but they're going to be great because of, of the energy and the response that was in the room. Um, a couple things post show that were funny. Um, Jean-Pierre came up, he, he goes, great stuff, man. But, uh, can I make one note? And in my head, I was like, oh my God, is he going to tell me some shit about like my set? Come on, dude. And he goes, the mic stand. You didn't move the mic stand. And I was sitting here going, I'm going to go up on that stage and move that fucking thing. And I was like, oh no, you're right. Like that wasn't, I thought he had like a creative note, but I was so locked in and I'm so big. I'm a very large person. So, um, I never think to move the mic stand. So apparently I might be co-starring with a mic stand in the, in the special, but hopefully my magnetic rock-like presence uh, is so commanding that people don't even notice there was a mic stand like center stage for the fucking show. Um, but then after the show, what was very funny, and it was, I can't say, it was just such a fun night. It was such a fun night. Your boy, who's always traveling in non-comfort, uh, I took a lift home from the city. I was just like, you know what? I've earned this motherfucker. 
And uh, so, yeah, so I took a lift home. But during uh, what's here's some funny shit. And especially once you hear the set, when I walked into the bar that I told everybody to go to, like half the bar started cheering for me because that was like kind of the. So the other half of the bar was like, who the fuck is this guy? So some guy walked up to two women that I know who are at the show and said, is that tall black guy who came in here famous? And then I just was on when they told me that on the sidewalk, I just started screaming. I did it. I did it. I made it. I made it. Yes, I am seen. <laughs> it was it was it was arguably the funniest moment of the night until this happened. My friend Jim from law school literally goes as they're telling that story because I was I was rotating a couple of people were sitting outside in the outdoor seating and then most people were indoors. So I was on my rotation out when I when the two women told me that. And then Jim goes, I'm not even kidding you. A guy came up to our table when you left and said, hey, was that Jerry Seinfeld? And I immediately crashed to earth again. But it was an, it was an unbelievable, unbelievable, like, summary of the night and the special that I just put out. One guy said, who was that black guy? And the other person said, was that Jerry Seinfeld? And I thought, that is a beautiful way to end this evening. I had a few gin and tonics. I haven't had a drink in, in a long time. I had some red wine like a couple of months ago. But I had three gin and tonics, good buzz, slept like shit last night, but woke up just so refreshed, went to IHOP. And here's the, sad, the saddest part of this whole story. I went to IHOP for pre, pre-church breakfast. Uh, you know, and now that I went to confession before you receive the Holy Communion, you're supposed to fast for an hour. So I had to finish up that, uh, breakfast, you know, by, you know, nine 30, just to give myself some space before, uh, you know, some, uh, before 10, excuse me, before that, like 11, 15 Eucharist feeding. Um, but, uh, went to IHOP for breakfast and I sat there and I, I, I boldly went with a full, a five stack. Couldn't finish it cause I'm a bitch as I always talk about. Um, uh, five pancakes is too much. It really is. It really is. And I guess that's a good thing. And my diet is helping. So I probably ate the equivalent of four pancakes, but they didn't hit as well. They were drier. I was, and they were fresh. They were fresh, but I was just like, what's happening to me? Do I not love IHOP the same way that I used to? And it was, and I thought to myself, or am I just looking for something negative because I'm so positive right now that I'm, that I'm my system in its desperate search for something to be pissed about is trying to actually turn me on IHOP. Not today, Satan. Uh, what's next? You're going to tell me I don't like the Cheesecake Factory? Fuck you. We're staying positive today. So to everybody that showed up, uh, Black Seinfeld uh, signing off. <laughs> Uh, I do think um, I do think I may stick to please stay subscribed, stay following the podcast, but I may take a few weeks off from this. Um, I'm going to see Chris Lamberth in the Layman trilogy this week. So we're going to Broadway. And then uh, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to well, oh, wait, November 6th, I'm in Lee, Massachusetts. So anybody in Massachusetts have a weekend in the Berkshires, <laughs> but it, but more likely if you're anywhere near the Berkshires. Most people don't want to go like two and a half hours for a show in a small town to see me. But uh, if you're anywhere near the Berkshires, uh, Lee, Massachusetts, the ticket info link and everything is on my uh, website on the calendar. So that's my next, my next big show is Lee, Massachusetts. 
on Saturday, November 6th at 7.30. Uh, Jordan Carlos is on the show, Kevin Bartini, and uh, uh, what's his name? I want to say Dan Perlman, the guy who created Flatbush Misdemeanors on Showtime. So it's a, it's a quite the strong lineup uh, for a nice little show in Lee, Massachusetts. So if you're anywhere near there, be sure to come to that. Um, and then the next weekend, I'm going to see Gary Gullman at Carnegie Hall, one of my favorite comedians. I, I recommend after you've done uh, purchasing and streaming my albums, which come on, if you're a fan and you haven't gotten all my albums or at least streamed all of them, you're doing it wrong because you want to be caught up when Half Blackface hits. And we're going to try and sell it. We're going to make some good faith efforts. We've got some – There, the pitches are going to be made to the major streaming platforms. That's the good news. That is a guarantee of nothing but my God. Oh, my God. I, I am so proud of last night, and I really do think it was a collaborative effort. Like I'm, I'm never shy about tooting my own horn when it comes to my comedy content, but I mean – like in acting, when they say somebody is giving you something and bringing out your performance, that that crowd last night, if you were part of that crowd, in spirit or in body, uh, you brought out my best. And you allowed me to go where I wanted to go and to not have any fear um, in some of the touchy subjects that I got into. So you are, and without question, if you were in that audience, you were part of making that great. That was not all me, mostly me. Let's be honest, but it was not all me. Um, so let's hope uh, somebody wants to buy it. I, I think it's, you know, I, I if you like my stuff, I'm telling you right now, that was the best. That was 18 years in and I'm still hitting new peaks. And I mean real new peaks, not just that was funny too. Like this is, I have hit another level. The way I referred to keep my enemies closer as a, as a benchmark for my career in terms of hitting a level, half blackface is a, is a new level. And I'm very, uh, very proud of, of, of what I did and what we did as a collective last night at the Triad Theater. So thank you, everybody. Um, thank you for hanging out after. Um, I tried to, you know, work work the room and, and be engaged with everybody because I truly was grateful to everybody. Um, so that's it, guys. Look at that. Uh, let me get out. Let me sign off before, uh, I think of something to be negative about those goddamn IHOP pancakes. Why didn't they taste as good? Uh, is there anything else for me to report? I gave you my gambling update. I gave you the whole week, uh, and the, and the show recap. So that's it. So I think, please stay subscribed, stay following. I could change my mind, but I think I'm going to take a few weeks off from this, um, focus on maybe some business stuff and, and, and maybe, uh, you know, the law job also is, uh, pretty intense right now. So thank you. I'm happy that I can take a little break from the Righteous Prick podcast on a very, very high note. So thank you for listening. I can't say it enough. Again, please give a five-star review for this, uh, uh, by the way. But um, yeah, uh, stay subscribed, stay following, and um, there'll be new episodes some, you know, sometime in maybe November. And who knows, maybe next week I'll just be like, guys, I couldn't stay away. I need the attention. I need to talk to somebody. But I'm going to try and take a little time off uh, just to free up, uh, you know, an hour a week for something else, most likely the work that pays me. So thank you. Have a great week. I will throw this up now. Why, why delay the positivity? Um, enjoy. Stay safe. Get your boosters if you're eligible. Get a vaccine if you, if you haven't. But good God, why haven't you if you haven't? And uh, I will see you maybe not next Tuesday. I will see you some Tuesday. What is that? Cust? <laughs> Uh, see you some Tuesday. Bye, guys.